Well, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, one last time to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The end of 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. If you remember, and you were with us last week, we, we said that Paul was facing outward, uh, reflecting upon some of the missionary principles he applied and seeking to bring the, the good news about Jesus Christ to the world. And uh, he summed it all up when he said he was prepared to be all things for all people so that by any means he might save some. Well, now in our passage today, in verses 24 through 27, Paul, in a sense, turns inward to reflect on, to outline some of his personal priorities. Okay, so last week, missionary principles. Today, personal priorities. And if you look over the passage, you'll you'll see uh, the dominant metaphor that he's working with. He takes us into ancient Greco-Roman arena and says that the Christian life is like entering one of these competitions, like running a race or boxing. And so he calls us to run so as to win the prize. Now, probably in the background here were the Isthmian Games, which were actually sponsored by the city of Corinth, held every two years, really second only to the Olympic Games, which we are a lot more familiar with. And so Paul is using imagery, though, that was was well known to the Corinthians, saying the Christian life is like a race that we're called to run, and we are called to run in such a way so that we obtain the prize. That's the big idea in this set of verses. And so just before we read, here's what I want you to be on the lookout for. And this is what we'll unpack this morning um, as Paul is writing in the light of this this metaphor. First, notice that there's a target Paul is aiming for uh, in his own life as he runs this race to which we are called. A target Paul is aiming for. Then secondly, notice that there's a tragedy he is seeking to avoid. Tragedy he is seeking to avoid. And then thirdly, And finally, notice that there's training that he undertakes in order that he might win the prize. Okay? So, a target which to aim, tragedy to avoid, and training to undertake. Let's go ahead and read uh, 1 Corinthians 9, picking it up in verse 24. And let's hear God's word. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after Preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Okay, so here's an important metaphor for thinking about the Christian life. You, dear friend, are like an athlete running in a great race. And you might read this passage as Paul assuming the role of of a coach 
giving you a training regimen so that you might run the race and win the prize. And it is the same training program that the Apostle Paul applied to himself. So let's notice, first of all, the target Paul aims for in all the discipline and the training through which uh, he, he puts himself. What is he seeking? In verse 24, he calls it the prize. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Get a little bit more in verse 25. He says, athletes train hard to receive a perishable wreath. He has in mind the the victor's laurels, which I'm sure we've seen images of. the, The crown that winners received. But you see what Paul is up to. He wants to contrast the perishable wreath that these athletes won. Uh, in the ancient Greek games, with the imperishable prize that Christians seek. And you probably know that, you know, in the Olympic Games, the winners were recognized and awarded with a, with a laurel wreath. But in the Isthmian Games, uh, the crown was actually a crown of wilted celery. <laughs> You heard that right. Wilted celery was the prize uh, if you were the winner. So you train, think about that. You train hard, you discipline yourself, you push yourself to the limits, you put yourself through all kinds of pain for what? In the end, finally to win the event, climb the podium amidst all the cheers and receive a wreath of wilted celery. (laughs) It's a perishable prize. And yet, athletes devoted themselves so as to win the prize, Paul is saying. And he's saying, okay, okay, in contrast to that then, look at the prize that is held out to followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an imperishable crown, an imperishable reward. And so when we finally cross the line, right, when we, by God's grace, Finish the race that has been marked out for us. We're being reminded here that we will be rewarded with a crown of unfading glory. And so there's a prize to be won. And Paul Paul personally presses hard after that prize so that he might take hold of it. And so we're seeing here, just as we enter into this text, that there there is a reward, an imperishable wreath, an eternal reward For you, for which the scriptures call us as Christians to work and strive and at which we are to take careful aim. Now with that being said, I want to ask you, I wonder if you've noticed this tendency that that I've picked up on in recent years. And it's this. In recent years, the suggestion that the only motive for obedience in the Christian life is gratitude. The only legitimate motive for obedience in the Christian life is gratitude to God for Christ's work for us on the cross. Now, to be sure, that is a foundational, primary motive. Gratitude for all that God has done for us in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. He he died that I might live. He obeyed Uh, the the commandments of God. 
He was perfectly righteous to cover over my unrighteousness and disobedience and the wrath and curse of God as we sang a moment ago. He took the blame. The wrath of God fell upon him in the person of Christ on the cross. And yes, praise God for that. Seeing all that Jesus has done for me through his life and his death ought to move me to love him and cause me to live a life of obedience as an expression of gratitude. But that is not the only motive. That is not the only motive for Christian obedience that God gives to us. He gives us a lot of motives. And so Paul holds out one other motive for us here. He says in verse 24, Run so as to win the prize. The prize when you cross the finish line is being set forth here as a motive and encouragement to cause you to run in a certain way. And so run. Run in such a way that you may win the prize. Reward then. The promise of rewards is a legitimate, even an important reason for obedience in the Christian life that I think we need to recover today. Now, part of the joy, though, here's the wonder of it. Part of the joy of the promise of reward is that the same Christ who gave himself for me on the cross of Calvary, who saved me and keeps changing me daily by his grace, is the same Christ who will give himself to me in intimate, personal, unending fellowship forever. And so one of the things we have to recognize is that Christ himself is our greatest treasure. He is our great reward. And so in the Christian life, we're not simply looking back to the work of Christ on the cross in the past. We are also to look forward to fellowship with Christ in the world to come. Jesus is the greatest prize and Paul has his sights fixed on winning that prize. And so I think this is pervasive in his writings. Let me just take you through a few passages. He can say in a passage like Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12, this one thing I do, forgetting about what lies behind. He says, I'm, I'm straining forward, stretching every muscle, every sinew forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I want to win the prize. I want to take hold of the promise of this reward of being with Christ and of knowing him as I am fully known. And then at the end of his life, as an old man, the end of his ministry, here's Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's still saying the same thing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I think you've got to say there is no no coasting across the finish line for Paul. No slacking of his pace as he comes to the conclusion of his race. He can, he can say with a good and clear conscience, I have run the race 
from start to finish as God has set it out for me so as to win the prize. And dear friends, I think this passage is here then to say to us, how about us? How about you? How about me? Are you in the race? Are you running so as to win the prize? I couldn't help but think as I was studying this passage of, uh, of thinking about Eric Liddell. Many of you know at least some of his story, a, a runner who refu- he's famous for refusing to compete in the event that he trained for, uh, the 100-meter sprint. Um, he refused to compete in the 1924 Olympics, I think it was, in Paris, France. Uh, he refused to compete because his competition was on Sunday, and as a Christian, he, he didn't want to break the Sabbath. Now, he was pressured from every side. Um, pressure was enormous, but he stood by his convictions. And instead, he decided to enter into a different competition, which was held on a different day of the week. Uh, so he entered into the 400-meter race. And everybody thought there's no way that he's going to do well for something that he hasn't trained for at all. And if you know the story, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. Um, the 400-yard race, when the pistol fired, he started out of the blocks flat out. And then he ran the next 400 yards that way. In fact, he ran the first 200 yards of that race inside the time of the world record that had been set the day before by another runner. <laughs> and then he went on to run the next 200 yards faster. And so maybe you've seen the image of him ahead of the crowd with his awkward running gait and style, his head back, crossing the line. Um, it's a wonderful story. He won the Olympic gold. Now that much of the story, I think, is, is widely known by folks. But what you might not know is that after he won the gold, he went on to give his life as a, as a missionary in China. And when the Japanese invaded China, um, Eric Liddell sent his, his family to Canada uh, for safety, but he himself stayed behind in order to continue to minister to the Chinese people. Uh, he was eventually taken into a Japanese prison camp where he spent his days serving his fellow inmates. He was prominent enough that Winston Churchill arranged for his release. And you know what he did? Um, he gave his place to a pregnant woman who was being held in the Japanese prison camp. And uh, many people later on who were released, reflecting upon their time, spoke of how much of an impact Eric Liddell had in the way that he served people within that prison camp. Sadly, um, sadly, he died before the prisoners were released of a brain tumor. So Eric Liddell gave his life, laid his life down for the cause of the gospel in China. But when he was asked years prior to this how he won the 400-meter race, his, his famous reply in many ways, sums up, I think, how he lived his whole life and how I think the Apostle Paul is calling us to live ours. He said, the secret to my success uh, over 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. Then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. <laughs> he didn't slacken the pace in, in the home stretch. He didn't let up. He ran the second half faster. I love that. I love it. But if life is a race, 
and we're thinking about ourselves, we have to recognize, okay, this is where some of us are today. Perhaps some of us are reaching the, the midpoint of our race. Perhaps some of us are already on the second half of our race. And if we're honest, some of us are nearing the finish line. And the question for us to ask is, are you still running to win the prize? Or are you slackening the pace a little bit? You know, has, has your zeal for Jesus grown dull? Have you decided, you know what, I've done enough. It's someone else's turn to serve. Dear friends, there is no retirement in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? There's no retirement in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no slackening the pace. Liddell ran his race flat out until he crossed the finish line. So how are we running the race? In verse 26, Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He knows, he knows where he's running. He has the finish line firmly fixed in his sights. And he's pressing on to cross that line. He's not shadow boxing. Right? He's not beating the air. Every jab, every hook counts. It hits the mark. He's saying, I run to win the prize. I fight for the prize. And God's word is pressing this home to us. I think, what about you? That's, his, that's the question. What about you? See, there's a reward, a glorious reward held out to us. Are you running so as to take hold of that prize? Or, or have you taken your eye off the prize? Have you, have you instead put your eye, your focus and attention upon a perishable prize? Are you running around aimlessly? Are you just beating the air, wasting your life on things that ultimately have little to no lasting significance? Or are you pressing on to win the prize for which God in Jesus Christ has taken hold of you? You see, there's a target at which we are to aim. So run so as to win the prize. And then secondly, and much more briefly here, there's a, there's a tragedy to avoid that Paul speaks of here. You know, what's, what's at stake? Let's, let's suppose the apostle Paul slacks off and begins to run aimlessly and beat the air. So what? Okay, if Paul, if Paul were to forego the, the training and the discipline that is to mark the Christian life, so what? Take a look at verse 27. See his concern? He is anxious that after having preached or ministered to others, that he himself might be disqualified. Now that is, that's a sobering statement from the Apostle Paul, isn't it? There's a tragedy, a real tragedy, that he is seeking to avoid in his own life. And think about this is Paul. This is the mighty Apostle Paul, the preacher of the Gospel to the Gentiles. Surely, of all people, he's got no reason to be concerned, we might think. He'll cross the finish line if anybody will. I think if Paul were alive today, many contemporary Christians today might come alongside of Paul and gently rebuke him and say, Hey, Paul, you're, you're taking this stuff too seriously. You're being a little too hard on yourself. But that's not Paul's perspective. Now, please understand. Paul is in no way doubting the certainty of his salvation. But neither is he presuming upon grace so as to think that he can simply coast along. 
He knows that those whom God redeems are those who work and pursue and strive and fight with all of their energy to live for Christ. And so Paul understands it is possible, it is possible to be a minister of the gospel, to move people with words, to see sinners saved and saints sanctified by the ministry of God's word. And yet he knows it's also possible that he might yet be disqualified. Now the word there is really important. The word he uses for disqualified, it means, uh, it means counterfeit. It's like, it's like fake money. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 8 to describe land that ought to produce a harvest, but instead it only produces thorns and thistles. Uh, Hebrews 6.8 says it is worthless. The same word used to translate disqualified. It is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That's the terrible tragedy Paul is striving to avoid, dear friends. Paul doesn't want his life to be counterfeit, And he doesn't want it to be a wasteland that produces no harvest. Now, again, you might think, this this is an unlikely prospect. This is the Apostle Paul. Surely he doesn't need to concern himself with with being disqualified. But dear brothers and sisters, I I can tell you, I can tell you stories of of gospel ministers who, who once seemed to be walking faithfully and have now altogether abandoned faith. I can tell you stories, tragic stories, of confessing believers who seem to be running well, but then they dropped out of the race. And so Paul is saying, do not think yourself beyond the danger of making shipwreck of your faith. Do not allow yourself to presume upon grace So that you neglect diligence in your life. Lest having ministered to others. You yourself are disqualified. Lest after having pointed thirsty souls. Where to find drink in the desert. That you yourself fail. To come to Jesus. To be satisfied. See if anyone thinks he stands firm. The message of scripture says. Beware. Lest you stumble. And so there is a target at which to aim. There's a a tragedy to avoid that ought to lead us to ask the question, okay, how do we avoid disqualification? It's a pressing question. And the answer is that there is a training regimen to undertake. I think this is fascinating. It sheds a lot of light on this passage because in these ancient competitions like the Isthmian Games, competitors were actually required to swear an oath that they would commit themselves to a particular prescribed training uh, regimen, a set of training requirements. And if they failed to meet those requirements, they would actually be disqualified from the competitions. I think Paul is at least building on this metaphor to say that the training for running successfully this Christian race God has placed us in cannot be safely neglected. You don't want to be disqualified, and so you need to be training. And he offers us the training regimen we need. Now, certainly more could be said, but let's 
take a look at what Paul has to say to us here. At the very least, we're seeing there are no passive Christians, right? There's no such thing as a passive Christian. So he says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And that's, the, that's one of the hallmarks of a, of a successful athlete, isn't it? Uh, self-control is the mark of an athlete who is, who is serious about winning the prize, winning the championship, winning the award. And that manifests itself in you know, tangible, small things. They're, they're, they're up early, they follow a strict diet, they develop exercise routines to, to strengthen uh, muscles and develop stamina and work on weak points and so forth. They, and they make sure they get the rest they need. I forget what tennis player it is. Uh, somebody can tell me later maybe, but he sleeps like 12 to 14 hours a night um, as part of his training regimen. Now, of course, being disciplined about rest also means that you're disciplined not only about when you rise, but when you go to bed, when you lay down. See, they, they learn to assess every aspect of their life by one great governing question. Will this make me stronger, faster, better? Will it help me win the prize? If not, it has no place in my life. See, they exercise remarkable self-control in all things, in every area of life. This is the metaphor that Paul is developing. And they do it all for a perishable reward. Uh, I just got finished with um, the, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, uh, The Last Dance on, on Netflix. And one of the things that blew me away watching that was how devoted Michael Jordan was to being the best basketball player of all time. You know, they're interviewing his teammates uh, throughout the series. Um, and, and they're all saying, look, practice with, with Michael Jordan was never practice. <laughs> it was never just a scrimmage. Um, he played everything to win. And in some ways, I think this is what the Apostle Paul is challenging us to with respect to the Christian life. You look at Michael Jordan, you think, man, in the end, he's just doing it for some, some wilted celery. Right? But our prize is so much more glorious than that, so much more worthy of all of our effort, all of our energy. But you know, the truth is, if, if, if you're like me at all, you, you find ways to excuse your apathy. You know, we, we avoid developing systems and habits, avoid embracing any, any kind of accountability. We say, that's legalistic. Well, dear friends, no, it's not. It's just the outworking of self-control. It's, it's the outworking of spirit-wrought, spirit-given self-control in the Christian life. It's, it's learning discipline. What Paul says in Titus, this is what God's grace produces. It's what God's grace does in the lives of his people as we seek to please, please the Lord. God's grace trains us for this kind of life. And this is what Paul says in, in verse 27 about himself. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Now that word that he uses, translated discipline, it's really interesting. It, it means to punch under the eye. I mean, literally, it means to give a black eye. 
It's a knockout punch in the ring. Now, he's not saying that there's something holy about hurting yourself. This isn't about self-flogging. What he is saying, I think, is I am resolved by the grace of God to beat my sin into submission and to beat my bodily appetites that want to go way off the charts in the wrong direction. I want to bring them all into conformity with the will of King Jesus. And that requires some gutsy fighting on my part against my bodily passions. See, dear friends, sin is like a bruiser and it wants to knock your lights out. It wants to destroy you. And though we may be inclined to shrink from the fight to do so, Paul is reminding us is is to face the danger of disqualification. We've got to get in the ring. We have have to stay in the fight. We cannot give up. Now, some of you might know the, that famous line from John Owen, right? uh, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And in a manner, that is Paul's exhortation to us here. Don't let up. Don't relax. Don't get passive. Don't grow slack. Don't hear simply the message of rest that the gospel offers to us, and think, therefore, that the Christian life is merely a life of passivity. No, there is a mortal struggle which we are called to, and so we must fight on. Just before the service, Pastor Dave reminded me of Martin Lloyd-Jones' statement, press on, press on, got to keep pressing on. And Paul encourages us to fight with our eyes fixed on the prize, fixed on Christ. We're to run, how does Hebrews say it? Or to run the race with perseverance, looking where? Looking to Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith. That tells us that we don't fight, we don't run on our own. We don't compete in our own strength, in our own energy. But instead, you can face the dreadful opponent of sin. And though it may be a hard-fought and painful battle at times, after all, our bodily appetites are powerful, and sometimes keeping them in check can feel like a punch in the face, can it? It can. It's hard to say no when that, that, that craving, when, you know, when we give in to, to sexual sin, or we overeat, or we're given to too much alcohol, or you fill in the blank. It's hard to say no when everything within us is saying more, more, more. It's hard to do it. But dear friends, you've got to keep swinging. You've got to keep slugging away. And the good news that the gospel offers to us is that you are not in this fight alone. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. And because of that, he will sustain us and he will keep us. And because of him, we will win. You see, it's not a futile fight then. You will not be on the losing side as you trust in Jesus. So fight on and run so that you might win the prize. I want to just add, if I may, one one piece of pastoral application to Paul's metaphor here, if if I can. And I think it's supported by um, teaching of Scripture elsewhere. As I was thinking about this, here's what what I want to say to us this morning. Don't Don't try to follow this training regimen. Don't try to follow this training program all on your own. 
you know, what, what happens if you've ever tried to start a training program or some sort of training regimen on your own? Maybe, maybe you do it for a little while and it's on again, off again, but then eventually you flake out. There's no, there's no real accountability. But what difference does it make if you have some friends who come alongside of you and you say to one another, look, let's, let's do this together. So we're going we're gonna to meet on these days at this time, no exceptions, no excuses. Yeah, it's still a struggle at times. It's still hard, but it certainly helps, doesn't it? And so all I want to say to us this morning is let's, let's find ways to, to train together. <laughs> let's get real with each other. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's talk about how we can help each other be disciplined in the Christian life. Where are we weak? Where do we need focused training? Let's pray together. Let's study the word of God together. Let's talk about the faith together and work it out together so that we may run the race and win the prize. See, dear friends, the Lord is calling us in his word to run so as to win the prize and to fight that we might win the battle. And so if we're just coasting along, let's hear the call of God today. And together, let's look to the founder and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Dave said, as D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, let's press on. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that the Lord Jesus does not simply call us into the ring. Um, he does not merely offer himself to us as reward once the battle is over, but he is the one who is present and by the Spirit, the one strengthening us and equipping us uh, for the race and for the fight. We pray this morning that we would hear the call of your word this morning. If, if any of us are coasting along, um, that you would strengthen us uh, to run the race well and to set our eyes afresh upon the reward that you have set out before us. And Lord, we pray that together we would support one another, challenge one another, press each other onward as we seek uh, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.